0: Welcome to the Jed McKenna Non Duality Podcast. Jed is the author of the Enlightenment, Dream State, and Jed Talks trilogies. Find Jed's books on Amazon.com and at WiseFoolPress.com in print, ebook, and mp3 audiobook editions. Read and listen to hundreds of articles by Jed McKenna, available exclusively at JedVita.com. Thank you. Enjoy the show. The Transcendentalist by Ralph Waldo Emerson 1842 The Transcendentalist is a lecture and essay by American writer and thinker Ralph Waldo Emerson. It is one of the essays he wrote while establishing the doctrine of American Transcendentalism. Made available here by WiseFool Press and Jed McKenna. Visit WiseFoolPress.com to learn more about the books of Jed McKenna in print ebook and audio formats. The first thing we have to say respecting what are called new views here in New England, at the present time, is, that they are not new, but the very oldest of thoughts cast into the mold of these new times. The light is always identical in its composition, but it falls on a great variety of objects, and by so falling is first revealed to us, not in its own form, for it is formless, but in theirs, in like manner, thought only appears in the objects it classifies. What is popularly called Transcendentalism among us, is Idealism, Idealism as it appears in 1842. As thinkers, mankind have ever divided into two sects, materialists and idealists, the first class founding on experience, the second on consciousness, the first class beginning to think from the data of the senses, the second class perceive that the senses are not final, and say, the senses give us representations of things, but what are the things themselves, they cannot tell. The materialist insists on facts, on history, on the force of circumstances, and the animal wants of man, the idealist on the power of thought and of will, on inspiration, on miracle, on individual culture. These two modes of thinking are both natural, but the idealist contends that his way of thinking is in higher nature. He concedes all that the other affirms, admits the impressions of sense, admits their coherency, their use and beauty, and then asks the materialist for his grounds of assurance that things are as his senses represent them. But I, he says, affirm facts not affected by the illusions of sense, facts which are of the same nature as the faculty which reports them, and not liable to doubt facts which in their first appearance to us assume a native superiority to material facts, degrading these into a language by which the first are to be spoken, facts which it only needs a retirement from the senses to discern. Every materialist will be an idealist, but an idealist can never go backward to be a materialist. The idealist, in speaking of events, sees them as spirits. He does not deny the sensuous fact, by no means, but he will not see that alone, He does not deny the presence of this table, this chair, and the walls of this room, but he looks at these things as the reverse side of the tapestry, as the other end, each being a sequel or completion of a spiritual fact which nearly concerns him. This manner of looking at things, transfers every object in nature from an independent and anomalous position without there, into the consciousness. Even the materialist Kondiak, perhaps the most logical expounder of materialism, was constrained to say, though we should soar into the heavens, though we should sink into the abyss, we never go out of ourselves, it is always our own thought that we perceive. What more could an idealist say? The materialist, secure in the certainty of sensation, mocks at fine-spun theories, at stargazers and dreamers, and believes that his life is solid, that he at least takes nothing for granted, but knows where he stands, and what he does. Yet how easy it is to show him, that he also is a phantom walking and working amid phantoms, and that he need only ask a question or two beyond his daily questions, to find his solid universe growing dim and impalpable before his sense. The sturdy capitalist, no matter how deep and square on blocks of quincy granite he lays the foundations of his banking house or exchange, must set it, at last, not on a cube corresponding to the angles of his structure, but on a mass of unknown materials and solidity, red hot or white hot, perhaps at the core. Which rounds off to an almost perfect sphericity, and lies floating in soft air, and goes spinning away, dragging bank and banker with it at a rate of thousands of miles the hour, he knows not whither, a bit of bullet, now glimmering, now darkling through a small cubic space on the edge of an unimaginable pit of emptiness. And this wild balloon, in which his whole venture is embarked, is a just symbol of his whole state and faculty. One thing, at least, he says is certain, and does not give me the headache, that figures do not lie, The multiplication table has been hitherto found unimpeachable truth, and, moreover, if I put a gold eagle in my safe, I find it again tomorrow, but for these thoughts, I know not whence they are. They change and pass away. But ask him why he believes that an uniform experience will continue uniform, or on what grounds he founds his faith in his figures, and he will perceive that his metal fabric is built up on just as strange and quaking foundations as his proud edifice of stone. In the order of thought the materialist takes his departure from the external world and esteems a man as one product of that the idealist takes his departure from his consciousness and reckons the world in appearance the materialist respects sensible masses society government social art and luxury every establishment every mass whether majority of numbers or extent of space or amount of objects every social action The idealist has another measure, which is metaphysical, namely, the rank which things themselves take in his consciousness, not at all, the size or appearance. Mind is the only reality, of which man and all other natures are better or worse reflectors. Nature, literature, history, are only subjective phenomena. Although in his action overpowered by the laws of action, and so, warmly cooperating with men, even preferring them to himself, yet when he speaks scientifically, or after the order of thought, He is constrained to degrade persons into representatives of truths. He does not respect labor, or the products of labor, namely, property, otherwise than as a manifold symbol, illustrating with wonderful fidelity of details the laws of being. He does not respect government, except as far as it reiterates the law of his mind, nor the church, nor charities, nor arts, for themselves, but hears, as at a vast distance, what they say, as if his consciousness would speak to him through a pantomimic scene. His thought, that is the universe, His experience inclines him to behold the procession of facts you call the world, as flowing perpetually outward from an invisible, unsounded center in himself, center alike of him and of them, and necessitating him to regard all things as having a subjective or relative existence, relative to that aforesaid unknown center of him. From this transfer of the world into the consciousness, this beholding of all things in the mind, follow easily his whole ethics. It is simpler to be self-dependent. The height, the deity of man is, to be self-sustained, to need no gift, no foreign force. Society is good when it does not violate me, but best when it is like us to solitude. Everything real is self-existent. Everything divine shares the self-existence of deity. All that you call the world is the shadow of that substance which you are, the perpetual creation of the powers of thought, of those that are dependent and of those that are independent of your will. Do not cumber yourself with fruitless pains to mend and remedy remote effects, let the soul be erect, and all things will go well. You think me the child of my circumstances, I make my circumstance. Let any thought or motive of mine be different from that they are, the difference will transform my condition and economy. I, this thought which is called I, is the mold into which the world is poured like melted wax. The mold is invisible, but the world betrays the shape of the mold. You call it the power of circumstance, but it is the power of me. Am I in harmony with myself? My position will seem to you just and commanding. Am I vicious and insane? My fortunes will seem to you obscure and descending. As I am, so shall I associate, and, so shall I act, Caesar's history will paint out Caesar. Jesus acted so, because he thought so. I do not wish to overlook or to gainsay any reality, I say, I make my circumstance, but if you ask me, whence am I? I feel like other men my relation to that fact which cannot be spoken, or defined, nor even thought, but which exists, and will exist. The Transcendentalist adopts the whole connection of spiritual doctrine. He believes in miracle, in the perpetual openness of the human mind to new influx of light and power, he believes in inspiration, and in ecstasy. He wishes that the spiritual principle should be suffered to demonstrate itself to the end, in all possible applications to the state of man, without the admission of anything unspiritual, that is, anything positive, dogmatic, personal. Thus, the spiritual measure of inspiration is the depth of the thought, and never, who said it? and so he resists all attempts to palm other rules and measures on the spirit than its own. It is well known to most of my audience, that the idealism of the present day acquired the name of transcendental, from the use of that term by Immanuel Kant, of Koenigsberg, who replied to the skeptical philosophy of Locke, which insisted that there was nothing in the intellect which was not previously in the experience of the senses, by showing that there was a very important class of ideas, or imperative forms, which did not come by experience, but through which experience was acquired that these were intuitions of the mind itself, and he denominated them transcendental forms. The extraordinary profoundness and precision of that man's thinking have given vogue to his nomenclature, in Europe and America, to that extent, that whatever belongs to the class of intuitive thought, is popularly called at the present-day transcendental. Although, as we have said, there is no pure transcendentalist, yet the tendency to respect the intuitions, and to give them, at least in our creed, all authority over our experience, has deeply colored the conversation and poetry of the present day, and the history of genius and of religion in these times, though impure, and as yet not incarnated in any powerful individual, will be the history of this tendency. What you call your fundamental institutions, your great and holy causes, seem to them great abuses, and, when nearly seen, paltry matters. Each cause, as it is called, say abolition, temperance, say Calvinism, or Unitarianism, become speedily a little shop, where the article, let it have been at first never so subtle and ethereal, is now made up into portable and convenient cakes, and retailed in small quantities to suit purchasers. You make very free use of these words great and holy, but few things appear to them such. Few persons have any magnificence of nature to inspire enthusiasm, and the philanthropies and charities have a certain air of quackery. As to the general course of living, and the daily employments of men, they cannot see much virtue in these, since they are parts of this vicious circle, and, as no great ends are answered by the men, there is nothing noble in the arts by which they are maintained. Nay, they have made the experiment, and found that, from the liberal professions to the coarsest manual labor, and from the courtesies of the academy and the college to the conventions of the Catillon Room and the morning call, there is a spirit of cowardly compromise and seeming, which intimates a frightful skepticism, a life without love, and an activity without an aim. Unless the action is necessary, unless it is adequate, I do not wish to perform it. I do not wish to do one thing but once. I do not love routine. Once possessed of the principle, it is equally easy to make four or forty thousand applications of it. A great man will be content to have indicated in any the slightest manner his perception of the reigning idea of his time, and will leave to those who like it the multiplication of examples. When he has hit the white, the rest may shadow the target. Everything admonishes us how needlessly long life is. Every moment of a hero so raises and cheers us, that a twelve-month is an age. All that the brave Xanthus brings home from his wars, is the recollection that, at the storming of Samos, in the heat of the battle, Pericles smiled on me, and passed on to another detachment. It is the quality of the moment, not the number of days, of events, or of actors, that imports. New, we confess, and by no means happy, is our condition, if you want the aid of our labor, we ourselves stand in greater want of the labor. We are miserable with inaction. We perish of rest and rust, but we do not like your work. Then, says the world, show me your own. We have none. What will you do, then? Cries the world. We will wait. How long? Until the universe rises up and calls us to work. But whilst you wait, you grow old and useless. Be it so, I can sit in a corner and perish, as you call it, but I will not move until I have the highest command. If no call should come for years, for centuries, then I know that the one of the universe is the attestation of faith by my abstinence your virtuous projects, so-called, do not cheer me. I know that which shall come will cheer me. If I cannot work, at least I need not lie. All that is clearly due today is not to lie. In other places, other men have encountered sharp trials, and have behaved themselves well. The martyrs were sawn asunder, or hung alive on meat hooks. Cannot we screw our courage to patience and truth, and without complaint, or even with good humor, await our turn of action in the infinite councils? But, To come a little closer to the secret of these persons, we must say, that to them it seems a very easy matter to answer the objections of the man of the world, but not so easy to dispose of the doubts and objections that occur to themselves. They are exercised in their own spirit with queries, which acquaint them with all adversity, and with the trials of the bravest heroes. When I asked them concerning their private experience, they answered somewhat in this wise, it is not to be denied that there must be some wide difference between my faith and other faith, and mine is a certain brief experience, which surprised me in the highway or in the market, in some place, at some time, whether in the body or out of the body, God knoweth, and made me aware that I had played the fool with fools all this time, but that law existed for me and for all, that to me belonged trust, a child's trust and obedience, and the worship of ideas, and I should never be fool more. Well... In the space of an hour, probably, I was let down from this height, I was at my old tricks, the selfish member of a selfish society. My life is superficial, takes no root in the deep world, I ask, when shall I die, and be relieved of the responsibility of seeing a universe which I do not use. I wish to exchange this flash of lightning faith for continuous daylight, this fever glow for a benign climate. These two states of thought diverge every moment, and stand in wild contrast. To him who looks at his life from these moments of illumination, it will seem that he skulks and plays a mean, shiftless, and subaltern part in the world, that is to be done which he is not skilled to do, or to be said which others can say better, and he lies by, or occupies his hands with some plaything, until his hour comes again. Much of our reading, much of our labor, seems mere waiting, it was not that we were born for. Any other could do it as well, or better. So little skill enters into these works, so little do they mix with the divine life, that it really signifies little what we do, whether we turn a grindstone, or ride, or run, or make fortunes, or govern the state. The worst feature of this double consciousness is, that the two lives, of the understanding and of the soul, which we lead, really show very little relation to each other, never meet and measure each other. One prevails now, all buzz and din, and the other prevails then, all infinitude and paradise. And, with the progress of life, the two discover no greater disposition to reconcile themselves. Yet, what is my faith? What am I? What but a thought of serenity and independence, an abode in the deep blue sky. Presently the clouds shut down again, yet we retain the belief that this petty web we weave will at last be overshot and reticulated with veins of the blue, and that the moments will characterize the days. Patience, then, is for us, is it not? Patience, and still patience. When we pass, as presently we shall, into some new infinitude, out of this Iceland of negations, it will please us to reflect that, Though we had few virtues or consolations, we bore with our indigence, nor once strove to repair it with hypocrisy or false heat of any kind. But this class are not sufficiently characterized, if we omit to add that they are lovers and worshippers of beauty. In the eternal trinity of truth, goodness, and beauty, each in its perfection including the three, they prefer to make beauty the sign and head. Something of the same taste is observable in all the moral movements of the time, in the religious and benevolent enterprises. They have a liberal, even an aesthetic spirit a reference to beauty in action sounds, to be sure, a little hollow and ridiculous in the ears of the old church. In politics, it has often sufficed, when they treated of justice, if they kept the bounds of selfish calculation. If they granted restitution, it was prudence which granted it. But the justice which is now claimed for the black, and the pauper, and the drunkard is for beauty, is for a necessity to the soul of the agent, not of the beneficiary. I say, this is the tendency, not yet the realization our virtue totters and trips, does not yet walk firmly. Its representatives are austere, they preach and denounce, their rectitude is not yet a grace. They are still liable to that slight taint of burlesque which, in our strange world, attaches to the zealot. A saint should be as dear as the apple of the eye. Yet we are tempted to smile, and we flee from the working to the speculative reformer, to escape that same slight ridicule. Alas for these days of derision and criticism. We call the beautiful the highest, because it appears to us the golden mean, escaping the dowdiness of the good, and the heartlessness of the true. They are lovers of nature also, and find an indemnity in the inviolable order of the world for the violated order and grace of man. Amidst the downward tendency and proneness of things, when every voice is raised for a new road or another statute, or a subscription of stock, for an improvement in dress, or in dentistry, for a new house or a larger business, for a political party, or the division of an estate, will you not tolerate one or two solitary voices in the land, speaking for thoughts and principles not marketable or perishable? Soon these improvements and mechanical inventions will be superseded, these modes of living lost out of memory, these cities rotted, ruined by war, by new inventions, by new seats of trade, or the geologic changes, all gone, like the shells which sprinkle the sea beach with a white colony today, forever renewed to be forever destroyed but the thoughts which these few hermits strove to proclaim by silence, as well as by speech, not only by what they did, but by what they forbore to do, shall abide in beauty and strength, to reorganize themselves in nature, to invest themselves anew in other, perhaps higher endowed and happier mixed clay than ours, in fuller union with the surrounding system. Ralph Waldo Emerson. The Transcendentalist by Ralph Waldo Emerson, 1842. Made available here by Wise Fool Press and Jed McKenna. Visit wisefoolpress.com to learn more about the books of Jed McKenna in print ebook and audio formats. You've been listening to the Jed McKenna Non-Duality podcast. Visit wisefoolpress.com and jedvita.com for more from Jed McKenna. Thank you.